Hello and welcome to Behind the Buyouts, the deals podcast where we sit down with private equity and venture capital practitioners and talk about their deals and deal making. I'm your host, Steve Jelsey, senior private equity reporter and curator at The Deal. Today, we're thrilled to have with us Renee Stewart, Senior Managing Director of the Vista Endeavor Fund, the firm's $1 billion vehicle that targets technology companies with revenue of $10 million to $30 million. In the world of private equity, this is a small cap fund and a rapidly growing companies. Renee, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Steve. So, Renee, you also serve as board member at Zapproved Inc., Dispatch SA, IN2L, and Kazoo. I hope I pronounced all those right. And, and thanks again for joining us. Got some recent deals that you've worked on, including Skooks. So we'll get to all these. But Renee, first, tell us about Vista Equity. It's a pretty big private equity firm. I guess they've been around about 20 years now, more or less. Tell us about Vista Equity and, and yeah. the technology focus. Yeah, sure. I, I would say Vista today is probably the largest enterprise software investor in the world with over $75 billion of capital under management. And you're right in that we have been around for over two decades which would make us one of the pioneers of software investing, as well as one of the early firms to really use operating support instead of financial engineering to create equity value. I would say today, we have many different funds that cover multiple stages of both private and public investing, as well as we have both equity and debt. With the ultimate goal of really finding the best B2B software companies out there to put money behind. Okay. So what about Endeavor? How does that fit into the mix at Vista? I think Vista Equity has a pretty large flagship fund that they've been doing large technology deals from, but then Endeavor is aimed at companies with revenue up to about 30 million. So so how does it sort of fit into the mix? And do you interact with the other funds at Vista? I would say, I think of Endeavor as really Vista's growth fund. And so we are focused on companies in that, what I call the scaling growth stage, which is somewhere around 10 to 30 million of revenue. And in terms of the ecosystem of Vista, I would say that we really invest in the smaller, earlier stage of the software lifecycle. And so the small cap, we have obviously funds in middle market, the large cap, long-term hold public and equity. And for us, the fund is neither traditional growth equity where you're only taking minority stakes, nor are we traditional buyout where you're usually buying 100% of a mature company. We're in a phase that we coin as really growth private equity, where we have a flexible capital structure to do both minority as well as majority investing. And what that allows us to do is really fulfill our mission of helping great companies be able to grow faster and, and achieve better results than they could on their own. So the flexible capital structure, so you will you put debt or equity into a, a company or is it just equity? I would say for the most part at this stage, it's mostly equity. I think some companies can support a little bit of debt, but our goal is to really invest equity into the business, both to put some equity capital on the balance sheet to help fund and fuel growth, as well as sometimes providing some secondary liquidity. Okay. So right now, we're in a period of record high public equity prices. But in this high price environment, is it a better prospect to buy a minority stake in a company to help it grow rather than buying the whole company? Or another way of asking that question, how are you navigating these frothy times? Is it better to exit than invest right now? I would say at this stage, we are rarely buying a whole company 100%. Because if you think about it, if you're a 15 million revenue business, 
And if you're a founder or an owner and you're willing to sell the entire business, that probably is a signal that you're not too bullish on the future. And so we want businesses to often sell anywhere between 20 to 60 to 70%. Whether it's a minority or a slight majority, our goal is to really find the best software companies and have the flexibility to provide the capital structure that allows us to invest in that company. I would say our approach in really navigating these pretty frothy times is to continue to focus on the highest quality businesses. I think we're seeing right now, whether you're a great company or a not so great company, they're all very expensive. And so we would much rather lightly overpay for a very high quality business than to overpay for low quality business or, or to even go bargain hunting. Because our belief is that if and when there is a correction, the multiples will hold for the highest quality companies. And, and not only that, but even the work that we do, we think that that is much better suited for high-quality businesses that are growing and that have large market opportunities versus the turnarounds. We really like to partner with teams on go-to-market and product expansion and M&A, and that's much less relevant for turnarounds. I've heard some private equity firms in the past during these pricey times saying, oh, we want to sell more than we buy. But it, it sounds like you're sort of like able to do both right now. You're able to do both. I think right now, I'm sure everyone is saying, sell everything which is probably why you're seeing the high level of activity that we're all experiencing. But at the same time, it's also a great time to, to be buyers in, in this market when, when there is so much available for sale. So um, talk about how Vista defines or identifies the high quality companies. That's the thing about Vista that, that really can strike you is the firm has a really deep expertise in technology. You know, there's stories about people from Vista getting into these hour-long conversations about technology and the philosophy of technology. So how does that expertise help you out in the field and identifying these high-quality companies? You have to pay a little bit more for them, but I guess they offer more value. Yeah. I, I would say at this stage, high-quality for us is a few things. It's often associated with strong growth combined with capital efficiency. We're not big believers in let's grow at all costs. I think that's better suited for the venture model. And then some of the other qualities we look for would be mission critical, really having differentiated products that solve complex problems. I would say that at this stage, when founders are looking for a capital partner, there are really two areas that they are focused on. It, it's not the capital. That's the commoditized part of the equation because everyone can provide that. What they're looking for is, number one, they're looking for someone who is really an expert in their space and really understands both their business as well as the market. And then the second is someone who can really help make their business more successful than they could on their own. And at Vista, and, and especially in the Endeavor Fund, that is exactly what we're able to provide for them. We're a dedicated fund for only this part of the market, which means we understand the unique challenges and opportunity at this exact life stage. And then we do know enterprise software better than anyone else, just given how long and, and how much we've seen over the last couple of decades. And while Endeavor is only a billion-dollar fund, we have the resources, the knowledge base, the network, and operating support of one of the largest software investors in the world, with Vista being a $75 billion fund. Just as an example, we have an operating group that has over 100 operating consultants. There is no other billion-dollar fund out there. 
that can provide that. And when you have a portfolio of companies ranging from as small as 10 million to as large as 2 billion in revenue, we know what great looks like at 20 million. We know what great looks like at 50. We know what great looks like at 100. And as well as all the pitfalls and mistakes that you can make along that growth curve, which means we can really help founders and entrepreneurs avoid mistakes that maybe their predecessors have made and not have to reinvent the wheel. And that's how we're able to make them more successful than they could on their own. So how big is the universe of 10 million to 30 million revenue technology companies? It must be a pretty big field out there. So how many deals a year does Vista look at? Not the whole firm, but just your team, I mean, Endeavor. I would say hundreds, uh, hundreds, high hundreds of deals. The, The universe is thousands, tens of thousands of companies. But keep in mind that we're not just tracking companies in the 10 to 30. We are tracking companies when they're five, when they're three, because those companies, if they are great businesses, they are growing very fast. And within 12 to 24 months, they are growing into our size range. So it's just as important for us to be spending time with the companies that are smaller. And that's where obviously the largest universe exists. Are you really looking to try to find companies where that haven't had institutional capital before? Or is that one of your criteria? I didn't hear you mention that earlier. We like both. I would say that everyone loves to invest in a bootstrapped business. Yeah. Because bootstrapped businesses are scrappy. They're capital efficient. And often we find that they're underinvested, which is a great opportunity for us to make investments in the sales and marketing and uh, product side. But I think it's unrealistic for us to build an entire strategy just around investing in bootstrap businesses. And so we love to partner with other venture capital uh, and sometimes even growth equity firms who have provided some initial institutional capital, but maybe the company has outgrown them both in terms of capital needs as well as the operating support and expertise that those firms can provide. Okay. So as a reporter covering the private equity firms, and venture capital firms, it's certainly easy for me to get folks to talk about their successes. But what about the risks? I mean, you know, you're investing in companies at a very young stage. I mean, I would think that, honestly, if you're batting about 50% success rate, I would think that would still provide incredible returns for the fund. So can you kind of tell me a little bit about the risks and how those are navigated? Because those don't get talked about very much. Sure. I would agree with you that there are definitely a lot of risks in investing in earlier stage or younger companies. But I would also say that there are distinctions of what an earlier stage or young company is. To just simplify it, I would almost look at it as really there's two main phases. And we found that the 10 million revenue range really straddles between those two phases. In that 10 million is where you are at a pretty interesting inflection point in a company's growth trajectory. I'm sure you've heard the saying, what got you here won't get you there. Well, that absolutely applies to scaling a company. It's really fascinating to see that the same core behaviors that propelled a company to 10 million is often the same behaviors that might inhibit them from them getting beyond that. What I found is that the 0 to 10 is what we might call the startup phase. That is actually where there's the biggest risk. And and that's where venture capital investing really begins their journey. In that phase, as a company, you have to be really scrappy and bold. You have to rely on random acts of brilliance. You're still looking for product market fit. And so that means there's a lot of tinkering. They're fighting for survival sometimes. 
which means you're often having to make some decisions that might be fine for short term, but they might be actually the wrong decision for long term. And then once you get past that stage, you're at what I'll call the scale stage. That's really the 10 to 30, where we really like to invest. And in that stage, you've already found product market fit. You have gained sufficient customer traction. Your metrics have started to stabilize. And now you're looking for sustainability and staying power. You're not fighting for your life anymore. But at the same time, you actually have to build out and mature your organizations. You know, your sales team might be doubling or tripling. You, you don't no longer know what every single person is working on, which means you actually have to build process and structure to, to stay on course. And we really like to invest in that phase because we found that both the mentality and the skill set of leadership looks pretty different. But the good news is it is more evolution than revolution. I think we've seen that people can evolve and develop those skills. And what they often need, especially if they're a first-time founder or CEO, is they need a capital partner who can really help them build some of the muscle to run this next leg of the the race. And, And that's a perfect place for us. And so while there is some inherent risk earlier stage, we much prefer that the scale phase where there is a little bit less risk because the product market fit is found that the technology has been developed. And it is much more about how do you scale and how do you build processes rather than trying to figure the business model out. Okay. Well, let's talk about a couple of examples of some recent investments that you've worked on. We've got Skooks Inc. It's an agile learning and talent development platform. We covered this in the deal. It's in our database. That was on June 29th. So pretty recent on that one. Uh, Tell us about that one. Sure. One of the things that we are focused on is making sure that we are very purposeful around our investment strategy. I think, especially in these frothy times, it's very easy to scope creep and get into areas where you don't have a winning play because you can look at what other people are doing and you could get FOMO. uh, and, And that obviously is what gets you in trouble. And so we've been very deliberate in sticking to our strategy of investing in vertically focused, growing businesses that are in great markets and have strong management teams and have been capital efficient. And Skooks fits that to a T. As you mentioned, they are a training and talent platform. But what is unique about them is that they are really serving what I'll call the frontline workforce. And that is that vertical focus. And so specific to Scooped, frontline workers really means workers in the restaurant space, in, in retail, hospitality, construction, banking. And what we really like about the space is that it is a massive market. Frontline workers make up 50% of the U.S. workforce. What's also unique about them is that they are usually workers that have no computer. They don't have a corporate email, which means everything they consume is on their mobile devices. And often they're not corporate mobile devices, but their own mobile devices. There's also very high turnover in this space, over 200% a year. And then they're often franchise or pretty complex organizations where you have a corporate brand, you have franchise owners, and you have individual stores. And so you can imagine trying to train and manage the talent base is very complex. And it's a very unique challenge just given all the things that I, I just shared. And so we love investing in companies that are able to solve complex problems in big markets by leveraging software. And then it also helps that this is a business that's growing over 40% a year and break even with great retention rates, which just exemplifies a sweet spot investment for us. 
Yeah, I just noticed that ITC Capital Partners and Kinetic Ventures were also involved in that deal as well. So you're partnering with some of the other firms and and, and I guess you have major- you have an investment or majority of that one in Scoops? We we are we made a minority investment in Scoops. Okay. And that's growing. You said that's growing pretty quickly, right? That's a that's a uh, pretty quickly growing company. You said, yep, they're growing over forty percent a year, and, and they're doing it pretty capital efficiently. And I wouldn't be surprised if shortly after this we make some investments in sales and marketing. And our goal is to have them grow even faster than that. Okay, great. Now let's talk about IN2L. Yeah, IN2L stands for "It's Never Too Late," which is uh, an interesting name. And another great example of a company in, in our sweet spot, they are serving the senior care living space, which, as everyone probably knows, ha- has a lot of tailwinds uh, from the pandemic around social isolation. And this is essentially a product that provides engagement solutions to seniors specifically. And what we really like about this business is that the product has raving fans, which makes it extremely sticky. It's, it's some of the best retention rates that we've ever seen in the industry. We also love the fact that it's in a large market. There are tens of thousands of senior care communities just in the U.S. And it's great to always back a strong female CEO and executive team. And then similar to Scoops, they also have great metrics in terms of having growth over 30% while still being profitable. Okay, great. So what's the typical exit path for companies in your fund? Do they usually sell to another private equity firm or to a strategic company? Are any of them candidates for IPOs? Are they too small or would they even sell to a larger Vista fund? I would say our most common exit is usually to a strategic buyer or to another investor. And while IPOs are not out of the question for our businesses, that's often not the outcome that we underwrite to. Because we don't lose money on our investments, that means we're usually not taking the high-risk, high-reward approach where IPOs are often the goal. And the trade-off of that is that you're often more bounded on your upside. But frankly, I sleep well at night knowing that the variability of outcomes on our investments are pretty bounded. Let's dive in a little bit about what makes you tick as a deal maker. Could you talk about what got you interested in working in technology and private equity? And to work for Vista, you'd have to have a pretty deep understanding of technology. So how did that agree with you in your life? Sure. I think it helped that I had software engineers as parents and grew up in Silicon Valley. And so was always surrounded by technology companies. And and so I just had a natural interest in technology. I would say career-wise, I took a pretty traditional path, which started with investment banking and tech investment banking specifically right out of college. And while I did take a detour at a tech company for a year, I really began my career at the ground level as an associate at Vista, which at that time, 14 years ago, that was the lowest level. And, and one of the cultural tenets that I really appreciate about Vista is that we have a pretty strong desire to build our teams from the draft rather than from the trade. And, and what I mean by that is we really invest in training and growing our leaders early on in their career rather than from hiring them externally. And so if you were to look at the MDs at Vista, 90% of the investment MDs were Vista associates before becoming MDs. I would say what really drew me to private equity early on is how broad, 
how diverse and then amazing of a learning opportunity the job would be. Early in my career, it was the fact that I was able to learn financial modeling, how to diligence and execute a deal, how to negotiate legal documents, and also how to operate a software company. But over time, I think the job became even more fulfilling in terms of just the opportunity to be able to meet amazing entrepreneurs, to really help them grow personally, professionally, create more jobs in the economy, and then build a ton of value for everyone involved along the way, which is pretty fun and rewarding. And and now, obviously, being able to to run a fund and lead a team, I, I just don't think it gets better than that. Great. So could you pick one or two deals that best highlight what you do at the Endeavor Fund? We already did talk about a couple of them, but you also deploy a lot of CEO selection techniques and focusing on business models of companies and how they work. So are there any other examples that you'd like to talk about? I would say another business that we are excited about is a business that we invested in prior to the pandemic called Kazoo that has been a beneficiary of some of the changes that have been brought on by the pandemic. It's a product that provides employee engagement, performance management, and rewards and recognition products to corporations. As you can probably imagine with the pandemic and most corporate workforces going partially or fully remote, employee engagement and making sure that you don't lose the the culture of a business becomes much more important. And so products like Kazoo really ensure that employees feel recognized, rewarded. You can manage goals and do talent management all in a remote environment. And, and, and they've seen a huge beneficiary of, uh, of, of, of companies really going remote. And so that's another investment that we're pretty excited about that exemplifies the type of investments that we like to make at Endeavor. Renee, you often work with entrepreneurs on helping them boost growth at their business. Could you share any thoughts on how to work effectively with them? Are there any rewards or challenges you'd like to point out to understanding what makes them tick? I think we all recognize that private equity is a people business at the end of the day. And this is especially the case in software because it's the people that build the software. And so as a result, trust is inherently critical to getting anything done. At Vista and at Endeavor, we're we're big believers in getting alignment early on with founders or with entrepreneurs. You know, without alignment on strategy and on what the outcome is and how on how you get there, you're you're going to be marching down completely different paths. And that's where there is a lot of potential for friction or disagreement. And life's too short to have too much of that. And so we really have no desire to invest in businesses where what we believe is the right decision for the business is completely different than what the entrepreneur wants. It's just, as I said, life's too short to try to change each other's minds. And so we are big believers on making sure that even before we make the investment, that there is 100% alignment on where we're going, how we're going to get there, and what resources we really want to bring to bear. Because that is the only way that we can really collectively be successful. Also, we love working with founders because they're incredibly passionate. Their dedication never wavers because the company is their baby. You know, you never abandon your baby, which means when times get very tough, which is inevitable to happen, especially uh, at this life stage, 
they're willing to muscle through it, through hell or high water. They're not going to give up and go find another job, which means we feel like we really have true partnership where neither party will abandon each other. And, and we believe that that bond is critical to success. And so there's a lot of rewards that come with that and working with the founder. And it's why we, we really love working with entrepreneurs. Forward-looking, are there any sort of trends in technology that you're looking at for potential deal flow? I would say the sectors that we really like are often sectors that are not tied to economic cycles. I think we have experienced pretty frothy times and we are expecting downturns to occur in our hold period. And so we want to invest in sectors that aren't going to move materially with economic cycles. And so we like sectors like compliance, legal, healthcare, education, field service management. We also like sectors that have complex problems to solve, like supply chain management, or sectors that are experiencing great tailwinds, like e-commerce enablement, which is pretty hot today. And then we also like some emerging areas that have interesting functionalities like low-code, no-code, or products that are leveraging AI and machine learning. I mean, ultimately, we are pretty agnostic in terms of the sectors that we invest in. But what we really do like are companies that do have some type of vertical focus, or even if they have broad applicability to a horizontal market, we like it when they have high win rates in a few particular verticals. Okay, Renee Stewart, Senior Managing Director of the Vista Endeavor Fund. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Steve. This is Steve Jelsey, Senior Private Equity Reporter at The Deal. This has been The Deal's podcast, Behind the Buyouts. Thanks for joining us.